Our sermon, our sermon passage this morning today is um, Acts chapter 1. I keep thinking I'm going to actually get through the book of Acts, at least the first chapter, and, and then things change. Um, my passage today says um, the removal and the replacement of Judas. We're not going to be, I won't preach on that. I didn't receive special revelation. I wish I did. It would cut down on my sermon prep time. The sermon actually is going to focus in the restoration of Peter. And um, it will be really an inference of what we see, at least in the first part of Peter's sermon. And then if the Lord gives us next week together, then perhaps we'll look at the removal of Judas. And then if the Lord gives me two weeks, then I really want to look at specifically the resurrection of Christ. So that might be a forecast for at least... Um, three sermons, but um, the longer I live, the more that I truly have embraced the Holy Spirit's statement to James, to, to the church, to say, if the Lord wills. I don't mean that in a silly way. Um, if the Lord wills, we'll do these things. But Acts 1, um, where are we? 15. We'll read 15 to the end of the chapter. Hear God's holy word. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brothers. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received a share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem. So that in their own language, the field was called Al-Kadama, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate. Let no one dwell in it. Let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all that the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious, holy, merciful and loving God. You are a God of love. We know that you're a God of love, Father, because you sent your Son into the world to suffer and to die and rise again for the likes of us, that you would make criminals into your children, unholy people into your holy people. What a mystery of mysteries. May we sing with John Newton today, amazing grace, when we see the mighty work that you have done in the life of this uh, man, Peter. Help us, Lord God. See, as our brother prayed earlier, that you are Emmanuel. You never leave us, never forsake us, no, never. Even when we as believers, Lord, sin against you in thought and word and deed, even in wicked, grievous ways, you never leave us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. As I mentioned my intention, and I have no idea, this, I've been the minister here 20, 
20 and a half years, something like that. Um, almost never do I uh, switch gears in the morning of. Um, so this is not an impromptu sermon, but I primarily worked through this passage wanting to consider Judas, <coughs> both his uh, removal and his replacement, and what Judas <coughs> would teach us as an unbelieving church member and what Judas would teach us as a, an unbelieving, unconverted, sinful minister. Uh, he teaches us a great things about the nature of, um, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least the, the church on earth is a mixed multitude filled with both um, goat and sheep. Um, and then perhaps I can contrast a little bit this morning with Judas, particularly in relationship to Peter, but it's Peter that I want to consider. So we have one man, Judas, who sins, and he testifies that he is an unbeliever, and then he goes to his place. But then what we have here is we have another man, Peter. He's a professing believer, and he was a possessing believer. In other words, he's a true believer. But he sins in a horrible way, and he's a believer. So we have sinning Judas, and we have sinning Peter, and, and they are poles apart. We may, from the outside, look, well, one man just committed simony. One man sold Christ for money. The other man swore with an oath. He used the word anathema in Greek. May God damn me to hell. I don't know Jesus. One is a believer, and the other is the man of perdition, the man of damnation. But let's look at the sinning believer, um, Peter, and then look at what God has done with him. So we'll just look a little bit at Peter and see what we can see. So we'll look at the person of Peter as the preacher, then his activity, his preaching, the content of his preaching, and um, then that will probably get us to the end of our time. So let's begin with the identity of the preacher. It's obviously the Apostle Peter. We're here at the day of Pentecost, and he's busy engaged in preaching. He has 120 people gathered before him in this upper room uh, to worship God and to pray to God and to await for God the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon his church, the New Testament church, to empower the church. And when I look at this particular passage, and this was what prompted me to kind of change the direction of the morning sermon, if we were to just read through this, immediately we'd think, oh, <clears throat> Peter's pe- preaching on Judas, and what are the lessons we have from Judas? That was my initial thought. But if we go slower, we come and say, wait a minute, who's the fellow doing the preaching? And obviously it's Peter. And as I mentioned, when we look at Peter doing the preaching, and we remember his defection from Jesus, we would kind of slow down a little bit and think, wait a minute, <clears throat> weren't you the very same guy as I mentioned, that swore three times with an oath. I do not know Jesus Christ. I do not know Jesus Christ. I swear to God, I don't know Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, if you've ever witnessed someone commit grievous sin, I have. I shaved his face this morning. I've witnessed me commit tons of grievous sin. But if you've witnessed another human being, the reason I mention self is when we commit grievous sin, 
it's not quite as grievous as when someone else commits grievous sin. Am I right with that? I think I'm right with that. So our sin is not as ugly as another person's sin, which gives us all reason to repent. But when you look at another human being commit sin in a big way, I fill in big, in a big way, and they're a professing believer, and they commit sin in this grotesque fashion, what often happens to, to, to you as a believer? What do you think? You see brother Bobby or sister Sally doing XYZ, horrible sin, cheating on their wife, and then killing the husband of the woman they're cheating with. Wink, wink, Psalm 51, 32. What do you conclude? Well, that's an unbeliever. He's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite. That's a false Christian right there. Straight to hell, don't pass go. Send me a postcard. I hope you wear asbestos underwear because it's going to be hot there. We are very quick as believers. We're very quick to think that we have the electometer that we can see who's elect and not elect. Ah, I see the sin that you committed. That means you're a phony baloney. You're like a Judas. I would suggest to you, beloved, if we watched the Apostle Peter say, I don't know Jesus Christ. I'm not a believer in Jesus. He's not the Christ. I swear to God. I swear to God I don't know him. All of us would walk away and think, what a phony. What a phony Christian. Another fake minister. I watched some YouTube videos the other day. My wife is gone, so I work like crazy hours and I eat toast and drink smoothies and, and watch videos on... I watched a Christian minister. And phony baloney Christian minister. So I thought, if we saw the Apostle Peter deny Jesus, we would say, okay, okay. I'm never going to your church. I'm never going to listen to you because you're a phony. And here he is preaching. And who and what is he preaching? Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ has ascended. Christ is sitting at the right hand of glory. Christ will come again. Christ, Christ, Christ. Wait a minute. I thought you didn't know Jesus. Oh, beloved, I've been a believer, I don't know, 30, 31 years. I've had many professing Christians tell me, you know what? And they're in a a hard patch of life. All of us can get to a hard patch in life. If you've never been, I, I mean hard patch, hard patch. I don't mean the clutch goes out or you have flat tires or you're broke. I mean hard patch, hard patch, where you don't know what day of the week it is. Where you say, am I even a Christian? Is this book even true? You know what? I'm probably not a Christian. I'm probably this I'm probably not a Christian. I'm probably not going to heaven. My life is insane. I have seen more than a few of those people that I've empathized with them as they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and said to them, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you don't believe. No, I'm saying I don't believe. I know that. Peter said he didn't believe too. I don't believe Peter and I don't believe you. You don't? Why not? Because you've testified of Jesus for 15 years to my face. And you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You're in fear of something. The devil is sifting you like wheat and you're losing. 
kind of. What do you learn about the nature of grace? Peter is the preacher. Faithless, sinful, weak, worldly Peter is preaching Jesus. A failing Christian is a Christian. A failing Christian is a Christian. A stumbling, sinning believer in Jesus Christ is a believer in Jesus Christ. The moment you are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ by the gift of spirit-wrought faith, whenever that occurs, whenever you are born again, whenever that occurs, that's God's business. I don't think it's ex opere operato. I don't think it's the water of baptism. It's the Holy Spirit. When he gives you eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to love and embrace Jesus, when that occurs, you will be a believer in Jesus Christ forever. Here and there. Forever. You say, well, you're a once saved, always saved. I don't put it that way because I'm reformed. We dress it up. Perseverance of the saints. The Lord Jesus Christ has died for you. He's brought you to himself and you're not going anywhere. Now, you may backslide. You may look like I'm going off to live in the weeds. You may live in the weeds for a while. But if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, He does not lose any sheep. Is this, is, is, is this then a license to, oh boy, howdy, that's great. So once I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm never separated from Him. Even if I sin wickedly like Peter, I'm still attached. I'm going down to McGinty's bar room. What Christian reasons like this? We don't when we're lucid. If you go down to McGinty's bar room and you're a true believer, guess what's going to happen? What happened to the apostle? Peter, you're going to eventually weep bitter tears and say, Lord Jesus Christ, why did I return to the slop like a pig returning to, to mire? Why? Forgive me. Cleanse me. So beloved, we're learning something, even looking at, at this just the implicit teaching of this. Jesus Christ does not lose the sheep that he saves. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, you are saved in Jesus Christ. Finito. The end. It's, it's, it's our security. Many years ago, there was a Pentecostal girl. A Presbyterian guy was chasing the Pentecostal girl because she was hot. And then he decided to go with a Baptist girl because the Pentecostal girl was too, her doctrine was too different. But I remember the Pentecostal girl stopped me in mid-teaching and said, you're teaching that once you're, you're joined to Jesus, you can never lose your salvation. I said, yeah, bingo, exactly right. And then she proceeded to tell me the two texts that say you can lose your salvation. And she was happy as a clam to tell me. I said, well, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. You're happy that you think you could lose your salvation. If you could lose your salvation in Jesus Christ... What are, what are some things that are, you're taught by inference? Then you've done something to obtain your salvation in Jesus. That's a workspace righteousness. That's legalism. And if you could lose it, when would you lose it? If you got it at 6 o'clock in the morning, you're losing it at 6.01. Then it's not all grace. The Apostle Peter preaching Jesus testifies to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ once we are in our confession, I'll use the language of our confession. Once we're in a state of grace, a state of salvation, we can have that assurance that God loves me. I'm a failure. True. I've stumbled. True. 
Jesus is in the saving sinners business and he's in the business of keeping those people he saved, saved. Is that encouraging? I find it super encouraging. Here we have this man who failed ridiculously. And what are some reasons why Peter failed and for which now we see him being restored? What happened to Peter? Why did he even stumble for which he had to be restored? Remember, remember he grew proud and he grew cocky. I call it cock of the block. Where you, you cock of the walk. Where you walk around, I'm the best. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. I'm the best. And the other guys, ah, well, they're not me. Pride has kind of a two, two sides to it. Pride has the elevation of self. And while you're busy idolizing self, what does it do to everybody else? Your stuff in Mary, Mariana's trench. So you're way down here, and I'm way up here. That's pride. Pride always elevates self and deprecates others. You're nothing, I'm everything. It's the flip side. These, even if all of these other disciples defect from you, Jesus, this is just after Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel says, every one of you is going to run away from me. All of you are going to defect. The Bible says it, and it's going to happen. And Peter walks up to Jesus and says, no, you made a mistake. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. And saying to Jesus, oops, Jesus, you got something wrong. You, you, are, you are in the wrong. When we correct Jesus, we need correcting. And when we come to a word of Jesus and say, I think he got that one wrong, guess what's ready to happen? A big fat fall. What goes before destruction or a fall? Pride. Pride. The Apostle Peter, a lover of Jesus, a truly converted man, used mightily by the Lord Jesus Christ, grew proud. He grew proud as all of those things. And I would say he grew proud in a way because his flesh looked at those things. Well, I'm not an unbeliever anymore. I'm not a fisherman anymore. Call me reverend. Call me reverend. It's not Jesus anymore. It's me. And oh, beloved, what was it God told Cain? Look, at, it's right at the door, right at the door. And he's look, looking to, 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 ha, to, to, to own you, to overpower you, to make you sin. Pride is right there. I think it's the last sin that remains just before we say, I'm leaving this world. Boom, we're dead. It's not immorality. It's not cussing. It's not covetous. It's pride. And pride is the worship of self. I'm a mini God. I worship myself. Peter tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. No, no, you don't understand Jesus. It's not about heavenly kingdom. No, it's not about in the sweet by and by when we go to the heavenly kingdom where everyone's going to worship in the spiritual kingdom. You don't, you don't understand Jesus. We're going to make Jerusalem and Israel great again and we're going to renovate Palestine and it's going to be awesome. You'll rule, but I'll be right next to you. Oh, beloved, this is the problem when we take our eyes off of heaven. I lose people here. This is why we have five people in a house cat. I lose people all the time when I say it's, the kingdom is not America. I love America. If they told me to join the army, I would join the army. I love America. This is not the kingdom of God. The church is the kingdom of God on earth. 
and then the purified church is the kingdom of God in heaven. When we take our eyes off of that and put them on here, guaranteed, we're going to deny the real Christ. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. We grow proud, fleshly, worldly. Listen to someone. Listen listen to the Christian. Listen to the Christian minister. You think you're at a political rally. I already know what's happening. Let's say the guy's a real believer. I already know what's fixing to happen. You you are going to have such a horrible fall. The Lord is going to bring the hammer down. God will humble all those who exalt themselves against him. This is Peter. We could just peel his sin like an onion, and not for the sake of picking on poor Peter, but to look and think, well, Lord, is it I? Do I do those things? Yes, we all do these things. So he's become proud. He's become worldly. He tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. No, Jesus, it's not about the cross. Enough preaching about that blood business, that blood atonement business. No, it's about now. We're going to kill those lousy Romans. That's what we need to do. Oh, beloved, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. We've got to get rid of all the lousy Democrats and blah, 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 and all the pinko commies. We've got to put them down. Ministers will preach like that. That's this. That's this. No, you don't know what spirit you are. You're a dove. You're a lamb. You're to preach the lamb of God slain as our brother prayed. Peter forgot all of that, but he's a real believer. That's encouraging to me. You think, well, boy, you're focused on the wrong thing. Yeah, Peter was too. You're preaching the wrong thing. Peter was too. And God has a school to send us to to turn us back around. He has a school to send us to to turn us back around. And what was the school that Jesus Christ sent this man to turn him back around so that he would be Christ and preach the cross and preach heaven and not self? What was the school he went to? It was chastisement by the devil 101. The devil has asked permission to sift you like what? Wheat. What does that mean? He is going to take a strap to your backside and he is going to discipline you with the devil. And he's going to let the devil loose on you. Why would he do that? Is he going to, the devil going to indwell a believer? No, believers have the Holy Spirit. We can't be indwelled by a devil or a demon. Why would Jesus Christ allow the devil to sift Peter like wheat? Why? For all the reasons we just said. He was looking to Peter. He was looking to self. And he wasn't looking to Jesus. And he thought, you know what? I'm pretty strong spiritually. Yeah, I'm pretty strong spiritually. Stronger than you. And um, I have this great position in the church. I'm the best. Um, I'm the first pope. JK. JK. And um, the devil, maybe he's out there, but he's not very strong because we have superpower in Jesus. In Jesus, yeah, he's good, but... Yeah. Here. Okay. There's a place in the Bible that says, if you can't walk with whatever, why do you think you can run with the horses? All of us think way too high of ourselves. And I'm talking faith. I'm talking faith. And we think too low of the devil. And we think too low of Jesus. Jesus said, okay. I'm going to let the devil tempt you and you're going to crumble before him. You're going to crumble. 
when we don't walk by faith and we do walk by sight, by, by our flesh, we fail. We fail. Our brother talking about his dad getting ready to go to heaven. If you face death in your flesh, you're going you're gonna to fail. The only way to look at the last enemy, death, is by faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. But it's easy for this believer to take his eyes off of Christ, to stop walking by faith, and to start to walk by flesh, by sense. And devils, God's method to bring us back is to allow the devil to chastise us, to show us how weak we really are, how needy we really are, how much sin still resides within us, and how strong the devil is. and how strong Christ is and how merciful Christ is and how he never leaves us. Beloved, the the blessing of this, even just by his being there saying, I I do love Christ, I am going to preach Christ, the great blessing is that even through this sad, sad, sad fall, The Lord Jesus Christ says, the devil is going to sift you like wheat, but I have done what for you? I've prayed for you. Remember I said Jesus is in the save and sinners business and the keep and save sinners saved. He's alive. Jesus is preaching, Paul is preaching a a Christ that lived, a Christ that died, and a Christ that lives. He's alive. He's alive. Our Christ is alive. Peter stumbled because he was afraid. He stumbled because he was proud. Beloved, we all get there. And resist the urge of looking at another Christian saying, you're not a Christian. Look at that sin. But also resist it towards yourself. When you stumble, when you fail, which we do constantly, we should remind ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is praying for me right now. I have a person I know, a friend I know, that just cheated on his wife. Professing believer. Incredibly gifted theologian. Incredibly gifted theologian. My prayer is that Jesus would be praying for him. And that he would be brokenhearted for his sin and say, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Lord would restore him to fellowship. And see, sometimes we think, well, he can restore a drunk. He could restore a person that denies Jesus. But we have certain sins that we don't want Jesus to forgive other people. I don't want him to forgive that person who did that wicked thing. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get people that have sinned against us in certain ways. We don't love them. We hate them. We don't want God to love them and forgive them. I get that. We need to repent of that. There is nothing we can do to sin away the love of God and the grace of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So if it's you, beloved, go to God in prayer. God, I failed. God, I've sinned. Lord Jesus Christ, restore me. And then go to the people that you've hurt and say the very same thing. Maybe the people will restore you. Christ always will restore you. And the Apostle Paul says this from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think. When you look at this is horrible, 
but he's restored. Here's the benefit of going through the trial and failing. Here's the benefit of the sin and the failure of a believer. It's not all bad. If you've ever watched sports, particularly um, fighting sports, I, hypothetically, I like watching UFC fighting, hypothetically. You hear UFC fighters that lose in a fight will say, I learned more by losing than by winning. Oh, beloved, that's a fairly biblical concept, actually. We learn a ton by failing. We learn a ton by our own sin. Peter learned, I'm not as strong as I, I, I thought I was. I'm not. Jesus is my strength. The Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, then what? The strength of Christ is made perfect in me. Beloved, when you're healthy, wealthy, strong, wise, all of those things, everything's going swimmingly, what happens to you? Well, really, what happens? You're looking at him right here. Jesus, yeah, he's good, but you're looking at him. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. You're going to humility 101. You're going to love Jesus 101. And then you learn in weakness, in failure, in struggling with sin, my grace is sufficient for you. Beloved, I'm not going to say if anyone's struggling with sin, if anyone has failed in their Christian life, I'm not even going to pose it in a conditional way. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room, every one of us, as professing Christians, as Christians, truly loved by Jesus Christ. Man, we struggle with sin. Oh, we struggle with sin. Do we not? And sometimes it's constitutional specific. God gives everybody a constitution. And constitution, your nature is just what God has made you. So it's not necessarily you're a rock star Christian. There are some people that come out of their mother's womb and they're like Placido Domingo. You can see it when they're little babies. Ooh, they never even cry. And then there's another little one that's like this. And you think, well, the one that's like this is godly. The one that's like this is ungodly. No. One's a type B and the other one's a type A on steroids. Right? And within those particular constitutions, we all have sins that are attractive to us. Someone, some guys are attracted to being catting around. Other people are attracted to, to sin of drunkenness or uncleanness or pride. Whatever it may be. Everybody has theirs. Every believer And if I put you in Peter's crucible, you could fail. I could fail. We have. We have. And of course, we want to look at yonder. No, you did. Think. Think. When did you fail, Jesus? When did you sin against Jesus? The great thing, Peter says, God, Jesus says to Peter, I've prayed for you. I'm praying for you. And when you've returned, strengthen the brothers. Beloved, we're no use to ourselves, to our families, to Christ, to the church. We're no use 
to anyone when we look at ourselves. The only usefulness we have in this whole life is to love Christ, to live for Christ, and to point other people to Jesus. Jesus died. Read 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 10. Look at what happened to Peter. He just says, I'm one of the elders. Remember, Jesus says, do you love me more than everyone? What did he learn? I don't know about everybody else. I love you. Oh, that's, that's the benefit. And I want you to see one last thing, and I'm, I promise I'll quit. Peter is restored, not to the union, because the union is never severed. Peter is restored to the communion, to the friendship. He feels, I'm going to use the feel word, he feels the love, he feels the closeness of Jesus once again. And look at what Jesus does for this minister. He puts him back to work. Sometimes we think, well, that's it. That's it. Well, you could be forgiven, but it's back of the bus now. It's back of the... Yeah. You have to be in the back. Don't ever tell anybody anything. You're in the back. Don't say anything. Maybe you'll squeak into heaven. Maybe Jesus will love you and restore you. Sit in the back. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. Our past failures and sins and our present failures and sins do not dictate our future. Christ dictates our future. Here you have a man, an abysmal failure. And how did he conclude his life? Testifying with his death that Jesus is the Christ. Our past does not dictate our future. We may have been pitiful in the past as Christians, but the end of our race, think of Paul. Paul was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, killing people, chopping them up like cordwood. He writes 13 or 14 epistles, half of the New Testament. We could be abysmal failures, and God may have work in store for us that we could be a mighty blessing to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all grace, all grace, all grace, all Christ. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.